0: Good morning, everybody. Um, I have so much to say, but I'm going to try to spread it out through the day and appreciate Pastor Ferguson's kind invitation to come. And we're, we've been praying that the Lord would give us an unusual day. And I want to do something this morning that is a little bit out of the ordinary. I want to talk to you about praying for missionaries. Now, you pray for missionaries. You have. I learned this morning that Trinity supports. Somebody said forty-one missionaries. Uh, that's that's a bunch of people. It's a bunch of different ministries. And uh, I would like to give you a tool, if I can, on how to pray for missionaries. Now, Pastor Burden said, "I've never used one of these. Uh, this is looks like the smallest TV in the world." Uh, and if I tap here. I'm going to just see here. Should be able to write, yes. That's the operative word, should. Look at that. How cool is that? How many of you do this routinely? Disgusting. <laughs> You'll have to excuse the fact that most of this will be illegible. E-S. Okay. How to pray. That's pretty, that looks like first grade stuff right there. Uh, How to pray for missionaries. This is a, um, I've developed this over a number of years in my own prayer life for missionaries. And uh, I have seven, seven points, if you will, about praying for missionaries. And each one is a different day of the week. And they're alliterated because that's the way I learn best is Give me all the help I can get to memorize things, um, but I still depend on my notes but um, let's let 's just dive right into this with your permission or without it, and uh, we will we will hopefully equip you better to pray intelligently for missionaries. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list; it's just my own list, and uh, hopefully it will be of of great help to you and they're listed. Not really in any particular order of priority, except for the first one. Uh, let's call this Sunday. On Sunday, you should pray for the missionaries to have lordship protection. Now, that may sound like an odd, an odd thing. I'm erasing more than I want to erase. Protection. Okay. Um, this has to do with the missionary's personal walk with Jesus Christ. You would think that every missionary, every pastor, every person in full-time ministry, ministry that they have their income earned by, that they are, their walk, their, their devotional life, their quiet time with the Lord, in prayer and in scripture reading, would be a no-brainer and it would be automatic. But that's not the case. Uh, most of us, when we were in high school, we thought, when I get out of high school, I'm going to do better in that area. And we got out of high school and still struggled. Well, when I get done with Bible college, when I get married, you know, when, I, when this, when... And we've always looked for the next transition. 315, which says... But be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. Oh, wait. Sanctify. This is the, verse, this is the portion of the verse I want to highlight. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, what does that mean? Sanctify means set apart to holiness. Do you make God the Lord? No. He is. He ever has been. He is now. He ever will be the Lord. So you have a throne in your heart and somebody's on the throne. If you're on the throne, get off the throne. If your job, your job security, your pension, your retirement, your grandchildren, your family, anything else that's on that throne, take it off the throne and put Jesus Christ on the throne. That's what that verse means. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready to give an answer. We don't have time, but the verse seems to say, be ready to give an answer, because people are going to come and ask. The question isn't what's the answer when they come. The question is how many people this week approached you and said, you know, I've been watching you and you have something that I don't have and i got to have what that is. Because Peter said if you live for Christ and Christ is on the throne, your life will be so distinctively different that people are going to come and ask, just be ready to give an answer. And uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I doubt if anyone had someone come up to you this week, maybe a couple, and said, "I'm watching you, and I've I've watched you in the highs. I've watched you in the lows, and whatever you have, buddy, I don't have that. I got to have that. Be ready for it. So, this is about the missionary's personal walk with Jesus Christ. Don't assume that it's all victory. Don't assume that it's without struggle. Um, and the, and this is the number one need uh, for for anyone in ministry and anyone." In a secular field, who is also a full time minister? If you're if you're a believer, you uh, are a twenty four seven believer. Amen. That was weak. There there aren't uh, there aren't stained glass windows behind those shades, right? There are. You've never seen them. I know they keep you in the dark here, but uh, we don't we don't come to this room, the sanctuary to worship God, and then live as we want outside. The sanctuary is right here. And uh, so just pray that all of your missionaries, uh, that the man of the Holy Spirit, but if you were go to go and live with them for a month or two months, you might find out that there's a lot of facade. There's a lot of superficiality on, on what they're saying and what they're doing. They don't exactly match. I'm glad to report to you that that's the exception. That's not the rule. But please pray for your missionaries to have a godly relationship, which is alive and vital and growing and deepening. and And that's how we pray for you. That's how we pray for you. All right. So, lordship protection. Uh, let's say Monday. I know, Pastor Aaron, you think you're going to get this back, but uh, you will. Leadership provision. You know, um, in the South. Now I, we, we're Michiganders. We're from Flint, and uh, but we live in Alabama. We've lived in, I don't know, twenty-three or twenty-four cities in nine countries. The greatest culture shock was moving from Michigan to Alabama. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Uh, but in Alabama, on the refrigerators, often there's a magnet that says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> now there's an unhappy mama right there. Uh, probably not, but anyway. The, the missionary husband needs to consider his first ministry, his wife and his family. After his personal walk with Jesus Christ, before the nationals, before the church planting, before the discipleship and the Bible studies, and and all the things that being on a third, particularly in the third world, all the things that that means, he needs to make sure that he's ministering to and ministering for his family. His children should never feel like they're third-class citizens, and they come after everyone else's needs have been met. Um. He needs to provide spiritual leadership for them. He is the shepherd of that home. And while he's discipling and pouring the word of God, or I should say the Holy Spirit is pouring the word of God through him as a vessel and into the lives of these nationals, he better not be neglecting his family. His wife is his primary disciple, and his children are their primary disciples. So you need to... It's a constant need and it's a constant struggle to keep that priority in its proper place. Tuesday. Now this would seem, again, like a no-brainer. Love for the people. How many of you have lived more than a couple weeks, more than a couple months, lived in another country? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of those lived in a third world country? Okay, very good. Uh, You know, it isn't natural. It isn't natural to go to another place that has an entirely different culture, entirely different language, entirely different color on some occasions, and, uh, and different smells, and different... I mean, it's just radically different. It's not natural to move from your comfort zone... And go to that place and just love it. Love everything about it. Um, my wife, I, I think if she if she closes her eyes and imagines it, she can smell the fish market in Lomé Togo right now. And we haven't been there. Well, we visited in 03, but we left in 91. And uh, she would never knowingly head for that place. You know, we might, by default, drive through it, but... Uh, we tell missionaries in orientation week, which happens at Camp Joy, Wisconsin, uh, once one week a year, we tell them to, when they arrive on the field, someday, some day, some, one of the days, or if not more, in their first couple of weeks, get in a bus, or a taxi, or their car, or another missionary's car, and just take the day and drive up and down through the streets and regions of their city or of their village, or of their, cloto, I mean, uh, that's a province, um, and beg God to give them a love for those people. Uh, because people don't care how much you know. You know, a uh, group of missionaries, national pastors, missionary pastors, we're sitting in a big circle, this is in Kenya, East Africa, number of years back. And probably 20 men. And in the group was a newbie, a missionary who had just been on the field for a month or so. And one of the Kenyan pastors looked at him across the circle and he said, Brother, why did you come to Kenya? And the missionary said, I came here to teach. And there was a long pause and the Kenyan pastor said, no, you didn't. You came here to learn. And that's, that was a necessary moment for that missionary because we have to... two or three occasions. I'm, I'm thrilled to report to you that it's not common. But we will be covering for a missionary. He's back in the States reporting to his churches or, or he's on another kind of a medical leave or something and we're there to keep his ministry afloat, which is what we do, furlough replacement. And one of the nationals to whom we get particularly close will confide with us, confide in us, Uh. Maybe in the kitchen next to the sink or something, they'll just say, you know, missionary so-and-so, he doesn't love us. (laughs) It breaks our hearts. Uh, Because just just loving them uh, makes it appear to them that, whoa, you guys really love us. Now, we're not. We're not anything. Anything that we see the Lord accomplishes or accomplish is because of the Lord's work. Without me, he said, you can do nothing. And, and we can, in fact, do nothing for the Lord's glory. But when the Lord uses us and, and uses us to show a national uh, that we genuinely love them because God has given us that. And it comes from God. We love him because he first loved us. He's the impetus of all loves. But, but ask the Lord to give your missionaries a genuine, growing, deepening love for the people and even the place. Now, Martha and I love ethnic food. We don't have to learn to love ethnic food. Uh, we love Middle Eastern food. We love food from everywhere. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't just come. We asked the Lord to give us a love. We don't want to offend people by saying, what is that? You know, so... Now, that doesn't mean I eat balut and uh, durian and some things that I have no interest in eating. I will, I will find a way. <laughs> I've, I went to a village one day and uh, had walked through the sun, w- walked in the sun, and it was just stifling hot, and I went into a, a, a mud hut, grass roof, no windows, so I didn't see anything for about 30 minutes. My eyes had not adjusted. So we do the greetings, and I, you know, feel and I'm sitting down. I can see absolutely nothing, but they're all watching me. And they brought out a uh, a warm bottle of Coke, and I could hear the ksh, and that was good. So I didn't have to worry about them putting, you know, some other kind of soda in a dirty bottle. And uh, so anyway, they brought me a plate of something, and I'm just and I'm in total darkness and. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know what I look like. But I'm feeling this, and it feels kind of nasty. And uh, it's wet, and it's cold, and I can off of uh, raw liver. You know, cooked liver is bad enough. Raw liver, I don't recommend it. But uh, I wasn't going to say, you know, <laughs> I was always thinking, everything I do, they're going to be watching. So I'm just carefully, you know, I... I uh, took a hanky out of my back pocket and put it there and set it on the plate and I said you know I I would love to eat more of this but I think I made an excuse that I had eaten something that I before I went and would you please pardon me for not eating and this is all in another language so uh, it was a tough day but anyway love for the people and it helps to have a likable personality you could put that there you know, some of us know people that are hard to like, harder to like. Some of us are people that are harder to like. Likeable personality. Penmanship doesn't seem to be improving much. All right, let's go to Wednesday. Language. Language. Proficiency. I've always maintained that you can have a wonderfully valuable and profitable ministry in the short term—six months, even a year—through a translator, an interrupter. Uh, But if you're going to live there for the rest of your life, or at least many, many years, learn the language, learn the heart language of the people. You can teach them through translators, um, but you can't communicate to their heart unless you speak their language. And uh, often missionaries, especially in their first term, their first year of their first term, they're eager to learn and a a fellow missionary, a co-laborer says, Hey, you can teach my Sunday school class. I don't want to do that. You can teach my Sunday school class, and it will give you a ministry, plus it will help you to learn the language. And that sounds like a good plan. So the guy takes on a Sunday school class. Now, he's studying the language with a tutor or in a class 30, 40 hours a week, but he takes this simple Sunday school class. All he has to do is take material that he's developed for use in the States and put it in another language, simple, simple words, vocabulary, because he's teaching kids. It'll all be fine. And then that ministry becomes two because another missionary says, Hey, do you think you could help me with visitation and uh, you'll, it'll help your language learning and blah, blah, blah. And those two ministries become three. Pretty soon he's compromised. They together have compromised his language learning so much so that 20 years into his life in this country, he's still using a translator. That's criminal. That ought not be the case. Uh, we have a we have a kind of an unwritten policy. Well, actually, it's in our written policies that if it's at all possible to learn a language before you get to the field, in like in a university or somewhere else, do it before you get to the field. Because once you step on soil of that field, your life is going to be forever given to that ministry and uh, it will compromise your language learning. Sometimes it can happen. We have a missionary candidate who probably will be coming with us soon who's going to Uganda, and the area that he wants to work is so remote that there are no language teachers. So he's going to have to just find the national who's sharp and will just set with him and work through. The national shouldn't speak much English, ideally, because he wants to be submerged in the, uh, in the tribal language. But this, again, this doesn't just happen. Ask the Lord to give your missionaries language aptitude. And there might be one other thing that you could throw into this mix. Uh, When a wife, a missionary wife, learns the language better than her husband does, that can create a whole bunch of issues, I'll call them. That doesn't mean I'm suggesting that you pray that the wife doesn't learn the language. It's that they are constantly looking out for one another, particularly the man, and, he's, and he's, while he's praising his wife for her ability in language, praising the Lord for his wife's ability, and capitalizing on it in, in, uh, in personal relationships, he's not bemoaning it, he's not complaining, and they're not, their marriage isn't becoming troubled and weaker because of the difference in their aptitude. So just pray about those things, all right? If you have any questions about these at any point, you have uh, opportunity to raise your hand. All right, let's do Thursday. I'm an inconsistent person, so I go from caps to uh, small letters, just get over it. Labor practices. You probably can't see that in the back, can you? With binoculars? Um this has to do with the missionaries' interpersonal relationships, both with the missionaries and with the nationals. You could also throw in his relationship with government offices with whom he must deal on a regular basis. Um, in the in the post baby boomer way post baby boomer times in our country here, a number of missionaries are coming back to take care of aged parents, uh, and should. I mean, if they can't, if there's nobody else that can do that, and there's no logistical way to see it happen, and it's going to take them off the field, well, that's mom and dad, and they raise them, and they, they in a very real sense, owe to them so much that they ought to make sure that they're properly cared for and loved. All right? But, but aged parents isn't the number one, reasons, number one reason missionaries leave the field. Some missionaries in their first year find out that this language that you just prayed that they would get, they feel like they'll never get it, ever. When, I know when we studied 40 hours a week of French up in Quebec, I thought French will be the language of heaven. Not because it's so beautiful, but it will take forever to learn it. And, uh, but language learning and the struggles of language learning. By the way, when we got to Togo, we found out that the services weren't conducted in French, even though French was the political language, they were conducted in Ave. So both of us spent many hours our first year trying to learn to speak Ave. But um, the, um, the number one reason isn't aged parents. It isn't getting your kids into college and through the college years and helping them to adjust to the foreign culture, which is then the United States. It isn't uh, the the cultural adaptation that they never successfully get past. The number one reason missionaries percentage-wise come back to the States and end their missionary career is because they don't get along with the other missionaries. Now, Think about that a minute. Does that even make sense? If you're Satan, and you know how how missionaries and, and just general believers in general, believers in this church, if you take your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and start watching that other guy and making comparisons on where he is and where you are, there's already a wedge. Satan has put a wedge between you. And on a routine basis, he's going to bring a little hammer along and just tap that wedge in a little bit. And the next time you have a disagreement or a difference of opinion, he's going to tap that wedge in. Pretty soon the wedge is starting to split the body and there's disunity. And the Lord's blessing cannot be there. So pray for the missionaries' relationships with others. Pray that they are... They have a unity which can only be given them. I mean, where is where is a classic passage on unity among believers? Somebody. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, Paul says, that ye be like minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. How does that happen? He tells us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And, and your missionary needs, I mean, if he has disunity, it's just all going to come down Crashing down—it's just a matter of time when it happens. So pray that there's unity, God-given, God-supplied unity. Um, that while he's while he's discipling, he's being discipled. Let me share with just in just a moment here something that happened. It probably would have been 1984, 1983, 1984. I was at the home of. A national pastor that was my brother in every sense. I mean, we were different colors, and uh, we lived in two different style homes. But he was my brother in Christ, and I loved him. And he asked me to come over to his house one day. And I did, and he set me down on the floor because he didn't have chairs. I think we actually sat on a step outside his house. And he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. I said, okay, good. He said, you have a problem. I said, okay, tell me about it. And he did. He absolutely nailed something that was a weakness that I had. But I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) I wanted to look at him and say, hey, buddy, I've got 26 churches that support me. Because I'm college educated and I'm over here to train you in the word of God so that you, in your uneducated way, can, you know, I mean, those, I don't think those thoughts actually went through my head. But I'm here to tell you I wasn't ready to be corrected, to be admonished, to be rebuked by this African brother. But he was absolutely on track with what he said. And I needed it. And over the ensuing years, being discipled by a national became one of the greatest joys of missionary life. Because who could could do that in the life of a national, cause him to grow where he was instructing this guy that thought that he knew everything? I mean, I... My daughter actually does think that she knows everything, but I, don't, I know that I don't know a lot of stuff. <laughs> but here this guy, another language, another culture, takes the word of God in his language, and the Holy Spirit has done a work in him and caused him to grow so much so that he's now my instructor. I love that. I love that, but I didn't love it the first time. And uh, so you need to pray that... I t- I t- well, just pray that the labor practices between the missionary and all the people that, with whom he has the joy and privilege of working goes well. That God is superintending that. God is hovering over that. God's hands are all over that, fingerprints. Uh, every year in orientation week in Camp Joy, I mention to the missionaries, the new candidates, look guys, put in your carry-on bag these things. Don't put them in your check bag because they may never show up. Uh, put these in your carry-on. A servant's heart. You don't get a servant's heart by flying over a body of water. You, are, you develop a servant's heart right here in the local church. This, this place ought to be a missionary factory. Ought to be a witnessing factory. You, your hands are soiled with the soil of church growth and church planting right here at Trinity Baptist in Flushing. So if the Lord takes you out and puts you in another place, you'll be ready to do that because you've developed a servant's heart. How? By serving. Serve in any way you can. Find something that needs to be done and if nobody else is doing it, volunteer to do that. Have a servant's heart. Number two, a teachable spirit. It's very hard to instruct someone who doesn't have a teachable spirit. And... Uh, we must all have teachable spirits. And by the same token, it doesn't come just by moving from one country to another. In fact, when you take someone out of their total comfort zone and put them in an uncomfort zone, you'll see why, what they're lacking in matters of teachable spirit and servant's hearts. Number three, make flexibility your middle name. <laughs> uh, you will, and number four is have a sense of humor... Because people are going to be laughing at you almost every day for something that you said or the way you said it. Uh, And I I won't take time to give you examples, but you will say some wild and crazy things without even knowing what you're saying. And people will just be elbowing each other and snickering and leaving the room to go outside and bend over with laughter and you don't have any idea what's going on. So make make, make sure you have a sense of humor and uh, you all have a sense of humor. And make flexibility your middle name because you're going to stand in a line at a government office for two hours. Get up to the window and be told that you brought the wrong paper. Oh, by the way, you're also in the wrong line. And if you go over to the right line, which they'll make you do, that'll be another two hours. So they they tell you exactly what you need and you come back the next week with those exact things only to be told that you didn't bring the right thing because it's a different person. Or it's the same person, but they're not in the same mood they were in last week. So, and I'm not making this up. This is just part of life in the third world. So if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not ready to flex, you're going to break. You're going to snap in half. Um, so the rough edges of the missionaries, ideally, in their interpersonal relationships, were knocked off. Those rough edges were knocked off as they served in their local church. You know, typically, a missionary young couple, they meet each other in Bible college. They get married. And maybe they have a child and the Lord has been leading them through a variety of ways and circumstances and godly counsel and many other ways. Leading them to apply to a mission board and go to a particular country and serve him there. So they apply and then they come and tell their pastor. Pastor, we've applied to be missionaries with so and so agency and to go to this country and serve. We, We want you to know because we know our church will be behind us. You know, that's actually, that's a wonderful thing when it happens, but it's actually backwards. The pastor watching this young couple grow and, and grow and serve and grow and serve and grow and serve calls the mission agency and says, we have a great couple for you. We think this couple will make fantastic, productive missionaries, and we want to recommend them to you as missionary candidates. That That's rare, but it ought to be happening, and it ought to be happening more and more. All right, we're down to Friday. Friday is a laid-out plan. Now, I'll just make this real simple. A missionary needs to have a plan, yes, but a better a better uh, picture would be a measure, a stick, a standard. Uh, when my wife taught first grade, between our ABWE years in Togo, Africa, and our years now, 21 years with Baptist World, we were eight years on staff at Faith Baptist in Davison. Martha taught first grade. I, taught, I was the music pastor, the discipleship pastor, and I taught high school French and choir and a few other things. Well, uh, what was I going to say? Pardon me? Measuring stick, Measuring stick. yes. She, she in those days would have 28, 29, 30 first graders. And if she each, each, had each of the boys and girls come up one at a time, handed them a piece of chalk, said, I want you to draw a one-yard line on the board. So if there's 30 lines on the board. Some are this long some go from one side of the board to the other side of the board. So how are you going to decide who's closest to the one yard line? The young one yard line. You bring out a yardstick. And the kids say, "Oh, Mrs. Anderson, I don't like that stick. It's made of the wrong material. It's metal, it should be wood, or it's wood and it should be metal or you know I just I don't like the looks of it. I think my line's better." It doesn't really matter because the yardstick is the standard, hello, and everything gets measured by that standard. Well, a missionary needs a laid out plan and God has given us his standard. It's right here. Everything that a missionary thinks about doing or gets involved in doing ought to be based on principles and teachings of the word of God. In fact, everything that you do and say and think or refuse to do, refuse to say, refuse to think ought to be riveted to the principles and teachings, the clear teachings of this word. Amen? So this is our, this is, when I was a a teenager, I learned this phrase. Some of you probably, in fact, most of you probably already have have known this for years. The Bible, the Word of God, is our soul, S-O-L-E, that means it's the only one, and sufficient, that means you don't need anything else, rule for faith, that's what we believe, and practice, that's how we live. This is our guidebook. This is our owner's manual. This is our repair manual. This is our spiritual GPS. Don't neglect the Word of God. Be a student of the Word of God. Read it, meditate on it, ponder it, memorize it, make it the fabric of what you are. Amen? And you need to pray that the missionaries do that that they don't just go out and shoot from the hip and randomly select this and this and this without consulting the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so that they're honoring the Word and honoring the God of the Word in everything that they do. All right? And Saturday. It's fitting that we would end on Saturday because even in the mission field, Saturday's the day for catch-up, for projects, for odd things. And uh, this one... I'm going to call this Little Problems. Do you know you have problems on the mission field, just like you have problems in flushing? We'll get it here. All right. Little Problems. I can summarize this best by telling two quick stories. Uh, Ken Haley was a missionary church planter in Kotonou, Benin, and he was going to be on furlough, and he had asked us, asked me to arrange to either come and cover his furlough or send someone. We ended up sending Bob and Margie Englehart, who at the time were missionaries in France and already had French, obviously. So the Engleharts moved to Cotonou. Part of Ken Haley's ministry included once a month spending about five days in Ghana. Well, to get to Ghana from Benin, you went to the Benin-Togo border. It took about three hours to go through the border checkpoint do the paperwork, supply their you know all the stuff that they ask you to do, drive 75 miles across Togo, going west, and then come to the Togo-Ghana border, another couple hours of formalities there, and then get over and drive up about two hours into the country and have this ministry of Bible studies and discipleship and leadership training and preach, and then after five days of activity there, repeat it and go back. So every, once a month for the six months that the Hearts were there, they did that. And they were driving Ken Haley's van. Some missionaries uh, have some vehicles that are character building vehicles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've tried to always have at least one character building car. It's a truck now. I've got a 95 Chevy pickup in my driveway that builds my character every time I use it. But uh, So anyway, Bob Englehart's coming back. He's come through the Togo-Ghana border and he's almost through Togo and he's in the village called Aflao. No, Aveho. He's in the village of Aveho. And the van breaks down. It's about... Uh, well, I, I, I better not give details because I've only got a couple minutes. But anyway, the van breaks down. Some boys from a mechanic shop down the, down the road, the dirt path, come and help push the van into the... The garage, which is closed for the night, but they work on the van the next day and then the next day. So, in the two days that he's there and the van's being fixed, and the, it was fixed, uh, Bob is witnessing to these mechanics and mechanic apprentices. And a couple of these young men trust Christ as their Savior. He leaves them with Bibles, he leaves them with gospel literature and growth material, discipleship material. Now, this would have been in. Uh, 2000, let's say 2000, 17 years ago, 18 now. Uh, there's a church in Avejo that has had this is the amount of missionary involvement it's had. The van broke down, the men were led to Christ, they were given Bibles and spiritual literature, and now there's a church there, a Baptist, independent Baptist church preaching the Word of God because a van broke down. All right? Second story. Uh, the Sinclairs and the Yiters went through Northland together and uh, went to Togo or went to uh, Cameroon together, went through dep- I mean they didn't travel together on deputation, but it was the same era. They got to the field close in time to their other family, and they have they had this team ministry, the two of them. Well Sinclairs took a washer and dryer from the States, Yiters bought a washer in Cameroon, and, uh, and it ran, ran for about a month, and uh, they would dry their clothes on the line. When the washer broke down, they started asking, who can fix a washer? Well, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, and the guy comes to fix the washer. He's got a hammer and a regular screwdriver. That's all he has in his little bag. His name is Emmanuel, and Emmanuel took about three days to essentially disassemble the washing machine. I mean, that was a trick with the tools that he had. And then reassemble it and work on it. And, you know, it didn't work, and it worked some. And then at the end of the three days, the washing machine is functioning. But Emmanuel is now a new believer in Jesus Christ because Matt's just been pouring his heart into this man for the three days that he's there working. Emmanuel, the following year, he hasn't missed a service. He has grown and he is a joy to be around, but he gets sick. And whatever the sickness is, it was never diagnosed. It got worse and worse and worse, and Emmanuel died. And the Sinclair, or the Eiters, had found out the name of the village. They had never been to it because it was very remote where Emmanuel was from. And of course, by tribal law, he needed to go to his home village for his burial. So the church packed up a rented bus and took about 30 people out to this village. took, I think, two days to get there. And they just ministered to Emmanuel's family, witnessed to them, loved on them, showed them sympathy, showed them empathy, loved on the village, sang. They would sing, stand and sing throughout the day. And then they had a funeral. And at the funeral... I don't know the exact number, but in the neighborhood of 25 people trusted Christ as their Savior. Why? Because a washing machine broke down. Now, I'm not suggesting, oh God, break the missionaries' machines, disable their car. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, God, he, he does this in our lives, does he not? He takes the little problems and he magnifies himself and his, his the fact that he is gyra that he provides. The fact that he's not willing that any should perish. You don't have to wonder if that person ought to be saved. It is God's will that they be saved. And it is God's will that you and I be used to take the message of salvation to them. I mean, I can still remember the person that first brought the gospel message to me when I was nine. And, I, and I'll spend part of eternity thanking that person for their willingness to come and share. You've been a great group this morning sorry for the uh, I'm about three minutes over take it out of my salary and uh, we would love to meet you many of you we already know and we're going to love on you anyway but uh, come and see us at the table pastor thank you so much